Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Morning. It is really good to be with you this morning. Hello to those of you joining us online as well. Uh, it's, I, it's, just, it's always a privilege to gather together and to worship and to hear the word and... Um, I love it. So glad you're here with us this morning. Um, today we're going to talk about um, a kind of difficult story in the Bible. That's, that's what I found this week as I've prepared for this, as I've talked to a number of people about it. This is a challenging story, so much so that Pastor Kyle and I actually recorded a podcast about this uh, earlier in the week. And then we sat back and as we always do, kind of evaluated, well, how did that go? And then we were like, you know what, we need to do that again because this is a difficult story and we want to approach it and handle it with care. And so we actually recorded that uh, over again because this is hard. Today we're talking about the story of Sarah and Hagar, and, and I just want to give you a heads up, because this is a, a challenging story, that in this story we're, we're hearing about a woman who was trafficked, who uh, was uh, abused, oppressed, who experienced violence and desperation, and, and some of those themes, for some of you here today or some of you online, they, those may be very personal uh, themes, and so I just want to proceed here gently and, uh, and tell you right away that it is okay to guard your own heart and uh, your own tenderness this morning. So Sarah and Hagar appear in one of the earliest stories in Scripture, uh, the story that focuses on a man named Abraham. And actually, in this point of the story that we're talking about this morning, Abraham is known as Abram, and Sarah is known as Sarai. Um, but those names change just a little bit later, like a chapter or two later. And since we're more familiar with the names Abraham and Sarah, uh, those, I'm going to use those more familiar names uh, this morning. Abraham was the founding ancestor of God's chosen people, those who would later be known as the people of Israel. And God made a covenant with Abraham. Many of you uh, may know this story, but I want to bring this context in. God made a covenant with uh, Abraham and promised him that from Abraham would come a great nation that would bless all people, and that Abraham's descendants would inhabit the land that Abraham uh, was, was living on at the time, and that Abraham's children would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's a really significant promise, and it's really crucial to actually the rest of the, of the biblical narrative. But there was one fairly significant problem uh, with this promise, and that was that Abraham did not have any children. And it's hard to believe that your lineage will include more people than can be counted when you are in your 80s and you don't have any children, right? That's what Abraham was facing, and yet that is exactly what God promised uh, to him. Now, Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and Sarah was barren, and that's how, uh, that's how the Bible describes women who could not bear children. The ancient understanding of barrenness was that the womb was stricken uh, with emptiness, was incapable of, of nurturing and sustaining life. And the understanding was that that happened because God was in some way displeased with the woman. Now, our, our understanding today, of course, is vastly different. Uh, 
But it's still true that women and men who experience infertility are familiar with that sense of emptiness and longing and unfairness that can come along with that. So that's what Sarah was facing. But in Sarah's day, that pain of infertility, it went far beyond this personal desire to have children as strong as that can be. Uh, The ability for a woman to bear healthy children then defined her entire purpose, her worth, her value, her status in society, her reputation. It was all dependent on whether or not she was a mother. Now, Sarah had virtually every power, every privilege available to to women in that day, which really wasn't very much, but she had all that was available. She was very wealthy. She was married to a very powerful man. Um, She she had a a household that was filled with, uh, with servants. The Bible tells us that she was very beautiful. According to the standards of the day, she had it all except for this one really, really significant Uh, an important thing, which was the ability to have children, and she was missing that. Now, Hagar had a different story. Hagar, according to the Bible, was Sarah's slave girl. She was a young Egyptian woman uh, who was enslaved in Abraham's household, and Hagar held no power in that society. She was young, she was a foreigner, she was enslaved, she held absolutely no power or significance. In fact, she didn't even have a name. Hagar, in the Bible, it's not a known name from that time. It's certainly not an Egyptian name. It roughly translates as foreign thing. That foreign thing, it's probably what she was called in Abraham's household. It's not even a feminine word, so it doesn't even mean the foreign woman. It just means that foreign thing, that strange thing. So like enslaved people really throughout history, like enslaved people still today, Hagar's humanity and dignity were completely ignored. But she did have one thing that Sarah did not have, and that was the presumed ability to give birth. And so Sarah concocted a plan, and in Genesis 16, verse 2, we read that Sarah went to Abraham and said, God has kept me from having children. That was also the understanding, right, that barrenness was an act of God. Sarah said to Abraham, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So then we see, so Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. And that plan worked. Sarah's plan worked. She she gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife, and Hagar became pregnant. And so Sarah must have been so happy, right? Except she wasn't. Not at all. We find out that when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Now, this could mean a couple of things. Most likely, it means that Hagar adopted this sort of uh, customary social shunning. Ooh, that's a really hard phrase, social shunning. 
she adopted this shunning of Sarah, which Sarah would have been experiencing her entire adult life as a childless married woman. So it's likely that Hagar kind of adopted that, maybe hung out with the women who were looking down uh, on Sarah. Um, I doubt that it was a, 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 a bold contempt. Uh, Hagar was still, even though she was Abraham's secondary wife, she was still uh, enslaved to Sarah. But Sarah did not like this position of power, or at least this little bit of status that Hagar now had. And so uh, when she experienced what she thought, saw as disrespect, she actually became quite enraged. And the Bible tells us that Sarah then went to Abram and said, this is all your fault. <laughs> right? all, all the husbands are like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. You just, you've got to feel sorry for Abraham a little bit at this point, right? Because he had done exactly what his wife had demanded of him, and the results were exactly what his wife had hoped would happen. And now she's saying, this is all your fault. And so Abraham decides, you know what? He doesn't want anything to do with this. He doesn't want any of this drama. He's washing his hands of it, and he tells Sarah to just do whatever she wanted. The Bible says Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so you deal with her as you see fit. And then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now this is important because the way this is phrased in the Old Testament, that Sarah treated Hagar harshly, it, it indicates that Sarah subjected Hagar to really extreme abuse and violence. This was not just you know, Sarah being rude to Hagar or giving her additional work or anything like that. The, the implication here is that Hagar was, was severely abused, so much so that she ran away. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar, the Bible tells us, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her at that point, return to your mistress. Go back to Sarah's household and submit to her authority. And then he added, and I will give you more descendants than you can count. And this is where it gets really hard. This is a really difficult story to, to read and to understand because it really brings up some hard questions about the character and the nature of God. And I want you to hear this, that it is okay to ask questions about God. And it's okay to ask questions about what we find in the Bible. We don't need to be afraid of what will be revealed to us. Our questions don't threaten or offend God. So we are going to tackle this this morning. So first of all, this angel of God, who is that? The angel of the Lord. Well, in the Old Testament, when we see uh, the angel of the Lord or the messenger of the Lord, it's generally understood in, in most cases that this is God himself. 
This is not a, a representative of God as we might understand an angel to be, not an ambassador, but an actual manifestation of God. And so God found Hagar in the wilderness. And then he tells her to return to Sarah. That's super messy. And I don't like it at all. Why would God tell Hagar to return to a place where she had been oppressed and abused and to the place where she was trying to escape from? Well, here's what this passage is not. It is not a divine instruction given to all people across all time. This is not an indication that God expects or commands people to stay in abuse, to return to abuse, or to submit to abuse. This is a a very specific injunction given to a specific person at a specific time. And why? Why would God instruct Hagar to return? Well, let's, let's do some creative, critical thinking here. The Bible tells us that God found Hagar on the road to Shur, and scholars will tell us that that was most likely a route to Egypt. It seems like Hagar was trying to return to her homeland. And if she had succeeded, then what would have happened? She was a a husbandless woman. Actually worse, she was a woman who had left her husband. And she would have a fatherless child She had no possessions, she had no provision, she had no protection. Egypt held no future for her or for her child. And that is assuming that she would even make it to Egypt. She was was a pregnant woman traveling alone through the desert. She was likely severely hurt. She had no no source of food, she had no source of shelter. Uh, People and animals and the elements all would have presented a pretty significant threat to her survival. So her very chances of making it to Egypt were pretty slim. And that may have actually been Hagar's intent. She may have run away expecting to perish in the desert. And God said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. God gives Hagar the same promise that he gave to Abraham, the promise of many descendants. In other words, he assured her that by returning, her household would survive. She would survive. Most importantly to Hagar would be the knowledge that her family, her child, would survive. And she would have descendants, and she would become an ancestor, and her story would live on. This powerless, invisible, nameless woman would be known. We really don't have to stretch our imagination very far to think that Hagar's only chance of survival and the only uh, chance of survival for her child as well would be to return to Abraham's household. As harsh as that sounds, to our ears. That was the reality of the culture and the era in which she lived. And I think it's important to just remember, let's be sure to remember that this is an ancient story and it is set in an ancient culture and it is told through the lens of ancient writers inspired by God. This is scripture. 
but told through that lens. And so today, we may read this and we may be astounded because of how we understand God, just astounded that God would tell Hagar to return to a place of abuse. But the original hearers of this story, because it was an oral tradition long before it was written down, they would have been astounded that God appeared to a foreign enslaved woman. And then God continued to speak to Hagar. It says, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. I like how God says, you are now pregnant. I wonder if this was a reassurance to Hagar. I wonder if she expected that her baby would not survive or that perhaps her baby had already not survived. The text doesn't tell us that. I want to be clear about that, but it makes me wonder. And not only is she still pregnant, but she would give birth to a son, which was significant in that day and age, because through a son, Hagar's family could continue. And her son would be named Ishmael. God hears a reminder that God had heard Hagar in her distress. And Ishmael would be a wild man, like an untamed donkey. <laughs> Sounds a little bit funny to our modern ears, especially if you read it in some of the old English translations. But the image here is of this unbridled person, unbound, somebody who is free. Hagar's son, and therefore her descendants, would be free. For an enslaved person, this is a tremendous promise. Listen to Hagar's response to God. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me. She named God. Hagar, this, this foreigner, enslaved, abused, powerless, nameless person, was given the unbelievable honor of seeing God and of naming God. Unbelievable because the understanding was that a person could not see God and live to tell about it. And yet here was Hagar, desperate, likely to die, and God heard her and saw her and met her in that place of desperate need, and it was in that place that he blessed her. Can you imagine how her identity changed after that encounter? Can you imagine the sense of dignity and worth and belovedness that she carried after that? In her circumstances, she was invisible and she was nameless, but God saw her and God blessed her. Notice how the, the text says, thereafter, Hagar used another name for God. Thereafter, from then on, Hagar, Hagar's encounter with God changed her. And it was not just a single moment 
of revelation and encouragement. But from then on, Hagar knew God in a different way. And Hagar returned to Abraham's household, and Scripture tells us that Hagar gave Abraham a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. Pastor Kyle and I were noting earlier this week that Sarah's plan had been for Hagar to give birth to a son for Sarah. The Bible tells us that Hagar gave birth to a son for Abraham, and then the indication later is that uh, it was, it was never, he was never considered to be Sarah's son. He was Hagar's son. And therefore, the descendants were Hagar's descendants. So Hagar's story continues uh, in the Bible. We'll have to talk about that another day. It extends further. I wish I could tell you that her life from this point on was just easy breezy, but that is not the case. In fact, the next time we see Hagar in the Bible, uh, four or five chapters later, she's faced with another pretty desperate situation. But I will give you a little spoiler and tell you that God meets her there too. I think sometimes, I think we want to see uh, a miracle of God. I think we want to see God act in a supernatural way and to rescue us from the events and circumstances of our lives uh, in, in ways that defy nature. We want God to put an instantaneous end to our suffering, understandably. And we see plenty of examples of that in Scripture but that's not how God intervened in Hagar's life. And it's not always how God intervenes uh, on our behalf either. Instead, just as with Hagar, God meets us in the place of our suffering, in our place of our, the place of our greatest need, and he blesses us there. And in that way, in that way we're given the strength to continue, to persevere through trials or pain. The strength to walk away from that which is harmful. The strength to stand firm on behalf of others. God offers us a blessing of identity as his beloved and a blessing of hope for the future. Maybe you're walking through a difficult situation or circumstance right now hear this you are not alone you are not invisible you are not voiceless god is with you and he sees you and he hears you you are his beloved and in him you have a sure hope for the future Let me speak just for a minute to those who are in oppressive or abusive situations. And I know it's uncomfortable to talk about this in church, but we need to talk about it because it happens in church and in Christian families. You are so loved and you are so worthy of love. And you don't deserve to be mistreated. I think sometimes people have taken parts of the Bible like this story, like some of the letters that we see in the New Testament that talk about authority and submission, important parts of Scripture, and they've misconstrued those verses, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. 
to mean that abuse or oppression are justified. But the truth is that God does not condone or sanction abuse of any kind, and neither does the Bible. There is not an authority or a relationship on earth that gives a person the right to abuse or oppress another person. It doesn't matter if you're a spouse, if you're romantically involved, if you're a child, if you're a dependent, if you're an employee, none of that matters. None of those relationships give someone the right to abuse. And there is hope. There are resources that are available uh, to help in current situations and to help with healing from past situations. We're going to, uh, to post some of those resources on our weekly resources page tomorrow morning, but also Pastor Kyle and I are available to help you find and access resources that can help in harmful situations or from healing from past situations. We face many difficulties in this life, don't we? Whatever you're walking through right now, and, and it, it may be something as dire as an abusive situation, it may be grief and sorrow, it may be illness or relationship struggle, it may be a situation at work, uh, disappointment, frustration. You are so loved. And God is with you. And God sees you, and he hears you, and he has a future for you. And my prayer is that you will hear that this morning, and that that will settle deep in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's challenging for us when we read these, these difficult stories that don't fit what we know, uh, or don't seem to fit what we know about you. Lord, thank you that we have your Holy Spirit to guide us, to walk with us, to provide the wisdom and the insight needed for us to see your true character and your great love, even in these difficult stories and situations. God, we all face difficult times and it is so comforting to know that no matter how invisible, no matter how small, how voiceless we may feel, that to you we are seen and heard and named, that you know us by name, Lord. What a great comfort and encouragement that is. Lord, I pray for those here this morning and those joining us online who may be walking through a difficult time today and may be facing difficult circumstances. Lord, right now in this moment, would you let them know that you are there with them, that they are so loved. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful that you meet us in our difficult circumstances, in our point of, of greatest need, that in that place, you meet us, you know our name. And that from that place, Lord, uh, that that can be the place of our greatest blessing. We're grateful for these truths, Lord. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.